Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. So, uh, years before he died, uh, Steve Jobs was speaking to a group of college graduates. Uh, it was a graduation ceremony, I think at Stanford University. Uh, and, and before the ceremony ended, uh, he said this. He said, every morning... I look in the mirror and ask myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? Let me, let me say it again. He said, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? See, what Steve Jobs was saying to those college graduates is, is as they were leaving college, as they were heading off into the quote-unquote real world, that they needed to approach every day as if it were their last. And if it were their last day, well, then the question that they all needed to ask is this, is this, whatever this is, is this how I want to live my life? Is this what I want to do with the last day of my life? Let's run with that for a second. If you knew that tonight was the last night of your life, Today's the last day of your life. Time's running out. What would you want to do? How would you want to spend your time if tonight was the last night of your life? My guess is that a lot of us in here tonight, we'd, we'd want to spend time with our family, people that we love. Others of us might want to spend some time reconciling a relationship, maybe saying some things that we haven't said, saying sorry for ways that we've caused pain and hurt. Maybe others of us would, would, would thank someone, say, thank someone for, for, for what they've done in our lives, for, for the encouragement that they've been for us. Still others of us, I'm sure, have a bucket list of sorts, and, and my guess is that there's some things that, that we want to do. There's some places that we want to go, some experiences that we want to have and so maybe that's how we'd spend our last day. What is that for you? If you knew that time was running out, how would you spend your time? It's a hypothetical question for us, of course, but that wasn't the case for Jesus. And, and tonight in John chapter 13, I think we'll see that Jesus' answer to that question is not what we'd expect. Pick up the story in John 13, verse one, John says this, he says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come from him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, up until this point in Jesus' story, the hour had always been future. 
So if you were with us uh, all the way back at the beginning of the semester, we looked at John chapter 2. There's a, a wedding in a place called Cana, a city called Cana. And if you remember the story or if you're familiar with it, you know that the wine runs out and Jesus' mom comes to him and says, hey, they're out of wine. And how does Jesus respond? John 2 verse 4, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Or a few chapters later, Jesus is speaking to a woman at a well in Samaria, and they're talking about theology, and they're talking about God. And Jesus says to her in chapter 4, verse 21, he says, Woman, believe me, a time is coming. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Or then again, there's, there's John chapter 7. Jesus is, is speaking publicly. He's, he's out in the temple courts in Jerusalem, and, and he's saying some things that, that ruffle some feathers, that, that make some people unhappy. And we read in 7 verse 30, at this, at what he's saying, they tried to seize him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. See, Jesus' hour, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, it had always been future until right now. Until John chapter 13, when Jesus says that it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew. He knew that his hour had come. He knew that his hour had come. It was time for him to go to return to the Father. See, he knew, he knew his hour had come. He knew it was the last night of his life. He knew that he was about to be betrayed by his best friend. He knew that he was going to be beaten. He knew that he was going to be mocked. He knew that he was going to be nailed to a cross and murdered. And yet at the very end of this first verse, he says this. John says this. He says, having loved his own who are in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus loved them to the end. See, if you hear nothing else from me tonight, I want you to hear this. Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you to the end. See, how do we know that Jesus loves us this way? Well, John 15, verse 9, he flat out says it. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And so just as God the Father loves Jesus the Son, so does Jesus say that he loves you and he loves me. But he doesn't just say it, he lives it. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, he says this, it's probably a familiar verse. He said, but God demonstrates his own love. God lives his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. While you and I were still sinners, Jesus died for us. When? Not, not after we cleaned our life up. Not, not after we learn enough. Not after we do enough. Not after we become enough. No, Jesus died for us. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me while we were still sinners. See, I've been reflecting on that verse, and, and, and I realize this is true in my own life, and, and I fear that it's true for, for many of you as well. We hear that verse. We know that verse. But that verse has just become so familiar that it's almost mundane. 
That good news that, that Jesus died for you and he died for me while we were still sinners. Okay. See, guys, I pray that that verse never becomes stale in your life because it's the best news that you'll ever hear. Jesus loves you to the end. Back to our question. How does Jesus spend the last night of his life? Picking up at verse 2. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew. He knew something else. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew all things had been put under his power. All things, Colossians tells us, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus for Jesus. And Jesus has power over it all. All things Jesus has power over, and he knew it. He knew it. He knew that the Father had given him the power over all things, and yet the question becomes, how will Jesus use that power? How will Jesus use the power that he's been given? Verse 4, Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was around him. What? Jesus has power over all things. And yet he gets up and he, he takes off his outer garment and he gets down on his hands and feet and he starts washing his disciples' feet. It doesn't make any sense. It's not what people would have expected, but it's not just that they wouldn't have expected it. It would have been shocking. Now, not shocking because foot washing wasn't a thing that happened. Actually, it was quite common. You see, in Palestine, and you probably know this, you've heard this, roads were dusty. People walked everywhere they went. They had sandals. Feet got nasty. And so because of that, foot washing was actually a pretty common thing. If, if a host was having a party, if a, if a host was having people over to have a meal, then, then the host would have been expected to have water there for people to wash their feet. So it's not altogether shocking that, that foot washing is happening. What's shocking is that Jesus is the one washing feet. See, again, it was common for, for pupils to, to serve their, their teacher, not the other way around. Even more, foot washing itself, it, it was considered too demeaning for, for Jewish disciples. And so, so what foot washing actually was, became, it was something done by, by the lowest of low in society. It was, it was often done by, by non-Jewish slaves, non-Jewish servants. The lowest of low, that's who Jesus is identifying with as he takes his garment off and washes feet. All the power, power over all things. And Jesus is acting like a slave. See, it's not how powerful people were supposed to act. It's not what powerful people were supposed to do. See, powerful people in the first century, they were supposed to rule. They were supposed to dominate. They were supposed to be great. They were supposed to be served, not the ones serving. Much is true today in our own culture. Reminds me of a guy uh, several years ago, named Mike Davis. Tiger Mike, this is a picture I think we have. Yeah, there's Tiger Mike. 
uh, Tiger Mike, uh, his nickname to those who knew him, especially those who worked for him. He was a former uh, chauffeur and eventually rose to prominence as a CEO of uh, the Tiger Oil Company. Now, as the nickname Tiger Mike suggests, he wasn't the nicest CEO, wasn't the nicest guy. And, and actually, years after the company filed for bankruptcy, some of the memos that he sent to his employees, they started surfacing around the internet. I started reading them, and I thought they were too good not to share. So here, here are four or five. This is the first one. He sent this to all of his employees. He said, do not speak to me when you see me. If I want to speak to you, I will do so. I want to save my throat. I don't want to ruin it, ruin it by saying hello to all of you. Next one. This is kind of weird. Anyone who lets their hair grow below their ears to where I can't see their ears, well, that means they don't wash. And if they don't wash, they stink. And if they stink, I don't want that person, my words, he used a harsher word, I don't want that person around me. There's a boss saying this to his employees. Next one, fun killer. There will be no birthday celebrations, no birthday cakes, no levity or celebrations of any kind within this office. This is a business office. If you have to celebrate, do it after hours on your own time. Next one, I swear, but since I'm the owner of this company, this is my privilege. I can swear. This privilege is not to be interpreted as the same for any employee. In fact, this differentiates me from you, and I want to keep it that way. Nice guy. Last one. The supervision of you will now be more strict than ever. If you do not want to work for me, pick up your check or work under my conditions. Now, maybe this is extreme. This is a real dude, and, and, and you can read all about Tiger Mike. Maybe it's extreme, but it proves the point, right? I think Tiger Mike is an obvious example of how the world often sees power and not just sees it, uses it. It's how we often think about and use power. Power is something to, to promote oneself. Power is, is for self-promotion, to advance our own cause, to advance our own purpose, to, to show others, to, to prove to others, to be to others the greatest. And it's not just the world, because the disciples were guilty of this too. See, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke gives us another detail about this final night, this last supper. He says that, that uh, while all of this is happening, while they're all around the table, while Jesus is doing the foot washing, while they're having this last meal together, the disciples, a dispute breaks out among them. They start arguing with themselves. What do they start arguing about? They start arguing about who's the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest when Jesus is gone? See, Jesus is, is saying all these things to them, and they, they start arguing. Who's going to be the greatest? Is it you? Is it you? Is it me? Jesus, you can imagine, just sitting there, shaking his head like, guys. And he says to them, he says, listen, listen, this is what the kings of the Gentiles do. This is what the powerful people of the world do. This is, they, they lord their power over others. They, they use their authority for, for self-promotion, selfish gain. But you, he says, verse 26, he says, you, my disciples, you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. 
For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. You see, it's ironic, isn't it? Jesus, the disciples are are sitting around bickering about their greatness while Jesus is displaying his greatness by washing the filth off their feet. See, King Jesus wasn't a king like other kings. King Jesus was the kind of king who, we read this earlier, we'll read it again, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the kind of king that King Jesus is. See, King Jesus, he didn't use his power like other kings. No, King Jesus, Mark 10, verse 45, King Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. How? By giving his life as a ransom for many. See, instead of asserting his own power, Jesus often laid it down. Instead of being served himself as the great kings often were, no, Jesus used his power to love people. Jesus used his power to sacrifice for people. Jesus used his power to to serve and, and to love others. Now, I want us to catch this. We don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but I want us to, to, to catch this one, one, one detail. Jesus' is last meal of his life, and he's talking about these things. Who do others include? Judas. Judas. See, here Jesus is on the last night of his life, and the one who is about to betray him, his friend, a disciple that he'd spent the last several years of his life with, the one who was about to hand him over to be nailed and murdered on a cross. Jesus is down on his feet, washing his feet. He's down on the ground, washing his enemy's feet. Can you imagine that? Last night of your life, time's running out, and you're washing the feet of the person that's about to betray you. What does all this mean for us? What is is Jesus in the Last Supper and washing the disciples' feet? What does that have to do with us? What does it mean for us? Well, thankfully, we don't have to speculate. John tells us, verse 12. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. See, what does this have to do with us? Jesus says to them, he's saying to you, he's saying to me, what I've done for you, go and do for others. Makes me think of another story. Years ago, there's an elderly couple uh, in Philadelphia, a long, long time ago. And uh, 
storming like crazy outside, and so they, uh, they didn't have a place there on the road, and they have to pull over at this small little hotel in Philadelphia. And they come in, and they go to the front desk, and they come up to the guy working the front desk, and they say, it's crazy out there. We, we have no place to go. We can't make where we're headed, and so we need a room for the night. And, and the guy working the front desk, he's got to break the tough news. He says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry, uh, but there are several conventions going on in the city tonight, and, and we just don't have any space. We don't have any rooms available. They're all booked, all taken. And as you can imagine, this elderly couple, they're, they're disappointed, they're, they're sad, they don't quite know what they're going to do, but they don't have a choice. And so they, they walk away, they turn around, and they, they start to head out of the door. And, and just as they get to the exit, they hear the, the guy at that front desk yell to get their attention. And they turn around, and he says, God, I can't, it's 1 a.m., it's storming like crazy, I can't let you guys go out there. He said, I said that we didn't have any rooms available, we do have at least a space available. He said, it's, it's, it's low, low budget, no frills, nothing special about it, but there's a bed and it's warm and I think it'll get you through the night. Is that something you'd be interested in? And of course, the couple's like, well, yeah, that's why we're here. He says, okay, great. Give me a few seconds. Give me a few minutes. I'll run upstairs and I'll, I'll make sure it's clean so that, that it's, it's okay for you all. And he comes back down. He takes the couple up to the room. And, and when the couple gets to the room, they realize that this is no hotel room at all. It's the guy's private room. It's where he lived. It's where he was staying. And when he said he had to go and make sure that it was clean and acceptable, what he was really doing was clearing all of his belongings out of the space so that this elderly couple could stay the night. They didn't have to go back into the storm. Fast forward a couple years, two-ish years. I said it was a while ago. Uh, he gets a package. The guy's still working at the same hotel. Gets a package in the mail. Opens it up. There's a note, also a plane ticket to New York City. The note's written uh, by the same man who was there with his wife two years prior. And as it turns out, that man was William Waldorf Astor, the famous Waldorf Astoria Hotel. And he was inviting this man, this front desk man, to go to New York City to now run all of his hotels. Why? Guy got there, he said, why, I think you must be confused. I work at this tiny little hotel in Philadelphia. I don't think I'm your guy. He says, no, you were, you are. And I knew it the instant that you offered your room. I knew the instant that you sacrificed for us. I knew the instant that you did that, that you gave your room up for my wife and I, that you were exactly the kind of man that I wanted serving the thousands and thousands of customers that would come through our door. See, that's what, that's what using our power, that's what sacrificing and loving others, that's, that's, what, that's what that looks like. Not using it for selfish gain, but using it for the well-being of other people. Now, here's a question. If Jesus were to walk into wherever you live, your dorm, your East Campus apartment, your fraternity sorority house, wherever you live in town, if Jesus were to walk in, who would he find? Who would he start talking to? Would, would he start talking to someone like that front guy, front desk guy? Someone who, who is willing to serve, someone who's willing to sacrifice, someone who, who loves others, willing to, to lay their own comforts, lay their own convenience, lay their own time, lay their own authority, lay their own power, whatever power that they have, lay it all down for the well-being of other people. Is that who Jesus would find? Or if we're honest, at least a little part of us, no show of hands, no, no out. But if we're honest, would Jesus find people that 
gosh, we, we don't really want to say it, do we? We don't really want to admit it, but we're kind of concerned with ourselves. Kind of concerned with me, my time, my convenience, my schedule, my priorities, my needs, my wants, my desires, my self-promotion, my well-being, my comfort. Is that who Jesus would find? See, that, that question, I, I'm asking myself as much as I ask, ask you, and I'm, I'm sure that as challenging as it is for you, I can assure you it's that challenging for me because serving others is rarely convenient. It's rarely convenient. Most of the time, it's not comfortable, is it? It's not fun. It, it takes sacrifice, real sacrifice and humility. It takes humility to put the needs of other people ahead of ourselves. But guys, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. That's exactly what Jesus did for you on the cross. See, what does it say to a watching world? The world is watching. What does it say to a watching world if we claim to follow Jesus, someone who is willing to die for us while we were still his enemies? What does it say to a watching world if if we claim to follow Jesus, but our lives tell others that we're mostly concerned about ourselves? What does that say to people about who Jesus is? Probably someone not worth following, right? But on the flip side, what does it say to a watching world when people look at our lives and they see people who increasingly, over time, one step forward, maybe two steps back, but but increasingly over time, people believing that Jesus is more. And because we believe that Jesus is more, we're, we're people who are compelled to love, compelled to serve, compelled to sacrifice for others. What, what message would that give? What message would, would that, what would that say about Jesus? That's kind of intriguing, isn't it? It's the kind of intrigue that, that attracts a man from New York City to hire a guy in a different state to go run his hotel. There's something different. See, that's what it looks like to sacrifice, to love, to serve other people. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. Music team, you guys come back. I want to close tonight with, with the very last verse. We haven't gotten there yet. But I think in many ways, this last verse, it's the key to unlocking all that Jesus is, is saying and doing here in this episode. This is, this is what happens in verse 17. This is what Jesus says. He says, now that you know these things, all these things, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you go and do them. Jesus is saying to his disciples, now that you know everything that I've been saying, now that you know all that I'm doing for you, now that you know all I'm about to do for you on this last night of my life, you will be blessed if you go and do them. See, remember that Steve Jobs quote that, that we started with? Well, I'll put it back up on the screen. We'll read it one more time. It says this, every morning, Steve Jobs, every morning I look at myself in the mirror and I ask, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? See, Steve Jobs tells us that, that, that we should do what we want because that's what will make us happy. You and I should live as if every day is the last day of our life. We should, we should do what we want because that's what's going to make us happy. Jesus says, no. That's not where happiness comes from. 
Happiness doesn't come from your wants. Happiness doesn't come from your needs, your desires being met. That's maybe what the world says, sure. But I say that happiness comes from getting down on your hands and your feet and your knees and washing the feet of others. See, what do you want? Do you want the the happiness that the world is offering you? Or do you want what Jesus is offering? Do you want the happiness that, that Jesus is offering? If you want what Jesus is offering, then Jesus says, go serve someone. Maybe it's not what we'd expect. You want happiness, go serve. Maybe even your enemy. Jesus did it. Jesus said, now that I've washed your feet, you should go and do the same. Who can you say serve tomorrow? Who can you serve next week? Who can you serve the rest of the semester? Who can you serve during your time in college? See, don't waste your time in college on yourself. Serve others. See, greatness, it's not self-promotion. Greatness is serving. And serving in Jesus' name is something that Jesus uses to change the world. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.